0: So let's read Matthew chapter 28 uh, from verse 1 down to the end. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.'" Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Well, uh, we love stories. We all love stories, whether it's a page-turning novel. Uh, or a fascinating biography or a, a near-addictive television series, you know, A Line of Duty, something like that at the moment, uh, or perhaps great films. Um, we, lo- we love stories. Kids love stories, even if they don't really love reading. They certainly love stories, maybe love listening to stories, uh, and it's a lot of fun to read stories to kids. And sometimes we even make stories up Sometimes when my own kids were younger, I would try mixing stories up a little bit, like um, the story of Little Red Riding Hood, who meets a wolf in the forest, and the wolf runs ahead to grandma's house, uh, but doesn't know which of the two cottages grandma lives in. So um, the wolf picks one and goes inside where he finds three bowls of porridge on the kitchen table with no one home. Uh, he, He eats... The smallest bowl of porridge, which is just right. He breaks the smallest chair and falls asleep in the smallest bed. But unfortunately, of course, for the wolf, he picked the wrong cottage. Uh, grandma's neighbours, the three bears, come back from their morning stroll. Uh, we used to enjoy that story in our house, and I, I enjoyed a version of uh, of Red Riding Hood that didn't involve having to cut the wolf open at the end, um, <clears throat> or leave Red Riding Hood to her fate. Anyway, we love stories, and maybe uh, you love a biography or a true story, and there are lots to choose from, aren't there? The world is full of people who have a real burden uh, to tell their story, and uh, some of us have the burden of listening. Uh, no, that's very cynical. Uh, there's something really compelling, though, about some true stories, you know, uh, Captain Phillips and the, the hijacking of the cargo ship, or Schindler's List, or some retelling of Henry VIII, uh, th- these magic stories, true stories, can be among the most compelling. Uh, well on Easter Sunday, of course. We, we retell and re-celebrate the greatest story of them all. Uh, it's a story of life and death and life. <laughs> uh, it's a story with good guys and bad guys, a hero, a real impact uh, here and now, it's a story with a rival, a rival story, a conspiracy, a cover-up, and it's an unfinished story. It's a story that we have the chance to be part of ourselves. So, let's get into this story about life and death and life. Uh, Matthew tells it in three parts, Uh, and the first one is resurrection. Tell them what happened. Tell them the story. So, let's look at uh, Matthew 28 again, reading from the start, we'll just read the first verse. So, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, uh, Sunday morning, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. It's a really tragic and hopeless start to the story. And that's because to everyone involved, it's not the start at all, it's the end. It's the end of the story for the disciples and all the followers of Jesus, including these women who were so loved and accepted by Him. Uh, It's the end for the Jewish authorities who are rid of a troublemaker uh, undermining their authority. And it's the end for the Romans who have just negotiated a little patch of civil unrest at the cost of just a single execution. So it looks like the end. Life leads to death, and death is the end. Everything in our experience teaches us to believe this. Not that we like it, of course. In fact, we have a deep unease at the idea of death. Why should we, in a way? I mean, if all we are is biological machines, just, just wet robots, chemically bent on, uh, on survival by reproduction, we shouldn't have that much problem with uh, death. But we hate death. We absolutely hate it. Almost every culture in the world has something after death, you know, paradise, Valhalla, reincarnation, heaven. And people will cling to ideas like that in blind faith, uh, even greetings cards. You go and try and get a, a greetings card. Well, they'll say things like, well, the people that we love never really leave us. Uh, but of course they do. <laughs> that, that's why it really hurts so much or uh, wherever they are, they're looking down on us. That's a bit vague. Uh, according, to, according to what exactly? Well, you see, we have a real problem with death, but life leads to death. That's what we know. That's our world order, life, then death. But Jesus came to flip that world order upside down. He came so that death would lead to life, Um, these women came to pay last respects to a dead friend. They came to mark an ending, but instead they witnessed the greatest of beginnings. Uh, So, look at verse 2. There's a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So God's power is on display with this this timely earthquake, an echo of the one, remember Friday night, an echo of the one when Jesus died, like a kind of cosmic gong to to announce Jesus' death and now His resurrection. An angel, uh, or probably two angels, uh, with one doing the talking according to the other Gospels, they appear and they roll back the stone and sit on it, Uh, it's so casual, isn't it? They just sit on the stone. And the battle-hardened Roman Roman guards have never seen anything or faced anything quite so terrifying, so they collapse to the ground. Well, the angel, verse 5, said to the woman, "Uh, "'Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as He said. Come and see the place where He lay.' Then go quickly and tell His disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Now I have told you." So, Jesus has risen from the dead. Go, tell His disciples. Uh, and look at the details though. Uh, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. See, th- there's no sleight of hand. There's no misunderstanding or mistaken identity. The, the women know who they've come to see. The angels know who they've come to see. They, the women watched him being buried in the tomb. They're in the right place, but there's nobody because Jesus really died and rose from the dead. In fact, here's another detail. Come and see the place where he lay. He's not here. Imagine the angels had said, um, you're looking for Jesus, but uh, but this body here in the tomb, this body that you can see is, is not really Jesus anymore. Jesus lives on in His friends and followers. He lives on in our memories. He lives on as we repeat His teaching. Imagine the, the, the angels gave that greetings card answer. You know, the, the people that we love, they never really leave us. Uh, wherever Jesus is, we're sure He's looking down on us. Uh, well, how, how rubbish, <laughs> how, how wet How useless. Um, But they don't say that because Jesus' body is not there in the tomb. Uh, They roll back the stone to prove it, that that He has risen. Go and tell what's happened. So verse 8, the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell His disciples. And suddenly, Jesus met them. What a moment. Greetings, He said. They came to Him clasped his feet, real living feet, real body, and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and we need that real physical resurrection, you know, a philosophical resurrection where he kind of lives on in our hearts. That is useless to us. We can get that from Hallmark. Um, he really rose, and we need that. But nor does Jesus appear in some brand new, unrelated body. Uh, the women recognize him. He shows his disciples his, his wounds in John's gospel. Uh, the kind of resurrection that Jesus pioneers is not just philosophical. You know, he lives on. It's not, uh, it doesn't ditch the old life and the old body as if nothing could be done about that. We'll just have to start fresh. No, Jesus, Jesus rescues and restores and renews. Um, he's, he's turning this old world order of life that leads to death into death that leads to true, eternal life, um, full and forever life. That's the Easter hope. That's the Easter promise. Uh, that's what makes the resurrection so important. Jesus smashed death not just philosophically, not in a way where we'd have to write that off and start again, but in a way where he came through death. Maybe you've heard about um, uh, upcycling—you uh, know, taking some old piece of junk, some uh, old bit of furniture, or something, repurposing it or reinvigorating and restoring it. Well, Jesus takes death, that inevitable end, the, the thing that makes a mockery of life. And he turns it into a a doorway, a a doorway through which we pass into true life, better life, forever life, deathless life. And so, Matthew's Easter story starts with an ending transformed into a beginning. Uh, Jesus rises from the dead, flipping our world order upside down. Um, Death now leads to life. What a story. What a story to tell. Now at this point, it seems that the guards wake up from their fearful fainting fit. They had one job. Keep the body in the tomb. Should be easy. It's cut into rock. There's a huge stone rolled over the front. They've just got to sit there and make sure no one rolls back this gigantic, heavy stone. Uh, Now the tomb is empty and they're in deep trouble. Um, So even as the women hurry off to tell the disciples this crazy story, this wonderful news, the Roman guards scurry off as well to the Jewish authorities for backup. Don't go back to base. They don't go back to the, their commander. Goodness. Uh, no, they scurry off to the Jewish authorities for help. That's the next part of Matthew's account. So, a conspiracy. Tell them this story. Um, so, let's read from verse 11. We'll just remind ourselves. So, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests, everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say His disciples came during the night and stole Him away while we were asleep." Well, it have to be a pretty deep sleep if you're going to roll a massive stone. Anyway, if the, if the governor if the report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It's almost too much much irony here for me to cope with. Um, So the Jewish authorities have to bribe the guards to tell anyone that asks that what happened was the very thing they were stationed at the tomb to prevent. The authorities who, who posted the guards to prevent grave robbing have to pay the guards to make up a story about grave robbing so that hopefully no one will believe what did happen a terrifying heavenly presence, an earthquake, and an empty tomb. The, the Jewish authorities would have been better leaving the tomb open and unguarded. At least then the grave-robbing story would have been believable. It's pretty amazing, actually, how this works. I mean, if you think about it, what, what's more impressive? Stealing Jesus' body from an unguarded tomb or from one with several battle-hardened occupying troops stationed specifically to prevent that from happening. It's like God was on the one hand making sure that, uh, that, we, could, that we could be sure that the grave robbing story was nonsense, and on the other hand showing just what a powerful thing it was to raise Jesus from the dead. Uh, he's kind of ramping up. The the power and the and the force of the miracle. It's like the circus performer who's going to walk a tightrope. If the rope is is you know three feet above the ground, we'll be impressed by their balance uh, if they can stay on the rope. But if the rope is suspended in in the the air, way up in the air, we're going to be more impressed. Well, then she puts on a blindfold to cross this rope. Well, we're going to be more impressed then. And then she whips out a unicycle. Well, my goodness, Uh, you know we're we're on the edge of our seats. This is getting serious then she rides across the tightrope, blindfolded on a unicycle, backwards. Uh, And it's like, oh, wow, this is is incredible. It's just been ramped up, the difficulty of this all the time. Well, here, everything's lined up to make sure that Jesus' body stays in that tomb. There's a rock over the entrance, uh, a sort of stone disc, like a millstone. Um, There's a squad on duty. All the bases are covered. Um, And so, when God raises Jesus from the dead, it is truly amazing. Uh, And in the end, the the Jewish authorities have to spread a conspiracy which would have been all the more believable if they hadn't worked so hard to prevent it in the first place. Uh, It's amazing what people will believe, of course. It feels like the age of the conspiracy theory at the moment, doesn't it? Um, So, man never went to the moon. 9 11 was an inside job. The earth is flat. Aliens landed at Roswell, the government's hiding from us, you know, they're going to microchip us all with vaccines or whatever, I don't know. It's the age of conspiracy. Um, Well, this grave robbing conspiracy is crazy. Uh, People will believe what they want to believe, but the evidence for the resurrection is compelling. Uh, And if that's something you'd like to look into more, uh, do get in touch. Mention that to me. I've got lots of things that you could Uh, could read or watch or listen to, or we could meet up and chat or not meet up and still chat is the 2021 way. Um, If it's true, this is the defining event in history. When the world order of life and then death is flipped upside down, when death becomes a door to life and true hope becomes absolutely real and physical and tangible in the resurrected body of Jesus. There is uh, nothing more important to be sure about than than this, in this life, Uh, because if it's true, of course it changes everything. A man who promised that he would die and on the third day rise, well, if he rose from the dead, that changes everything. So Matthew's Easter story starts with a resurrection, continues with a uh, a conspiracy, and it finishes with a commission. Tell them to come. Come. Let's read verse 16 and 17. So, when the 11 disciples, minus Judas now, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. So, this might be a reference to to some outside the core group of 11, maybe some others doubted. I don't think it really reads that way. Uh, It could be that Jesus was still some way off, and they uh, they weren't sure that it was him on his way, or it could be translated: they worshipped, but they doubted. Um, and the word doesn't mean disbelief so much as hesitation. They they hesitated. So it is a big leap for lifelong Jews, worshippers of one God, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, uh, to accept that this man is God in the flesh, God the Son, risen from the dead. They've watched Him from a distance being executed, and now this. Well, it's easier to to imagine any or all of the disciples both worshiping Jesus as God in the flesh and still being pretty confused about what what exactly had happened and wondering if it could all be real. Um, and, you know, you don't have to get rid of all your doubts to be a Christian. In fact, when I meet people who have no doubts about anything, there's something wrong there, isn't there? Um, we take Jesus at His word that He rescues and restores, uh, restores us to right relationship with God. We take Him at His word that He will raise us to new life and His new creation. That doesn't mean we have all the answers uh, to every question from day one of our Christian lives. Uh, one of the things that's so helpful about, about belonging to a church is, is talking to people who've been Christians for a long, long time, They've been through uh, patches of doubts and difficulties and dry times. Uh, But over time, the truth about Jesus has been borne out in their experience. They've come to know Him more and more. They've seen answers to prayer. They can hang in there uh, through times of doubt. And if you're one of those longtime believers, um, why not pray and look for ways to encourage your little brothers and sisters uh, in the faith? Anyway, verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority had been given to Jesus, the man who is God in the flesh the authority uh, was his in eternity as god the son but now it applies to jesus of nazareth the risen king uh, and the sense of the word is that jesus had absolute control and power and jurisdiction over the whole world and we see that uh, in acts don't we uh, as he builds his church despite all opposition uh, and the task that this risen king gives to spread his authority and his rule throughout the world um, King Jesus sends His followers to spread His rule throughout the nations by making more and more disciples from those nations, disciples who identify with Jesus in baptism and who commit to His rule in their lives. Uh, Verse 19, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. In baptism, we go down into the water just like Jesus went down into death. That's how we identify with Him. But also, we come up out of the water uh, just like Jesus came up out of death in resurrection and life. Um, the old me, the, the me that lived the way I wanted and I decided, dies. And the new me uh, who's alive only because of being united to Jesus and who lives now for Jesus, that new me is alive in its place. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. So, we identify physically with Jesus in our baptism, which symbolizes what's happened to us spiritually, spiritually, As the old me dies and the new me is made alive, united to Jesus. And then we identify with other subjects of King Jesus, uh, His new community, the church. Uh, That's why baptism is tied to to membership of the church, uh, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. The rule of Jesus is seen as people come to Him and are governed by Him, submitting to Him and obeying Him as our King. And Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus will be with His disciple-making disciples, Uh, and not only to the end of their lives, to the end of the lives of these 11 11 guys, but to the end of the age until He returns. Jesus is with them. He is with all of His disciple-making disciples who will come after them until He comes again. He is with us. with us. And so, Matthew's gospel that, uh, as we saw uh, back at Christmas, it feels like a long time ago, it began with uh, the announcement to Mary that her baby is Emmanuel, God with us. Well, Matthew's gospel now ends at Easter with a promise that that same God in the flesh will continue to be with us until He at last is with us and we are with Him. Uh, well, so what? Well, we are part of this commission. We're to be baptized into Him. We are to be His disciples, literally learners, uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning all the time what it means to follow and submit to Him. Uh, for some people, that's, that's a posture that's strange to us, submission and, and learning and obedience and teachability. Perhaps in your life, you're the leader, you're the, you know, you're the boss uh, perhaps submitting and listening to Jesus is an unusual posture for, for you, but that's how we should be as New Testament uh, writers teach us all that Jesus commanded. And we're to be disciple-making disciples, looking to, uh, to extend the kingdom and the rule of Jesus by calling people to come to Him as well. Jesus doesn't promise that's going to be easy, or comfortable, or that we or our message will be well-received. He simply gives us a command to follow and a promise to be with us. So, will we do it? Will we go? Will we, uh, will we speak? Will we be part of this? Or do we know better? He doesn't promise ease or comfort or a good reception, but He does promise to be with us. He is with us and not in the hallmark way where those we love never really leave us. Jesus is with us for real. Uh, Jesus reigns in heaven for His church. He has poured out His Spirit so that every Christian has that down payment of the presence of God in us day by day, helping us to learn and live for Him more and more until we are with Him face to face. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a true story. It's the true story of this world of all time. It's His story. It's our story. We're part of it. He's with us. It's a story of turning the old order upside down. The old order uh, that says that death, uh, that life leads to death, has been flipped upside down. It's now, uh, now death is the doorway to true life for those of us in Jesus. It's a story that builds a kingdom that gives life and hope. It's a story to take hold of and a story to share. So, this Easter morning, why don't we finish just by praying for God's help to do that, uh, to share the Lord Jesus. Father, thank You for this Easter story. Thank You that Your Son was not left in the ground, leaving us with a sad memorial and death undefeated, Thank You that He doesn't live on in some philosophical way, but as a real living man and king reigning over Your kingdom and over this world. Father, please help us where we may have doubts or hesitation to look to Him, and where our faith wavers, we will find Him faithful. Help us to be those who learn and who put into practice all that the apostles have taught us. Give us the conviction and the courage to be disciple-making disciples, extending the rule of Jesus, not only in our own lives um, and in our church community, but in our families and our friendship circles and into the world at large. Uh, This very prospect fills us with with apprehension, Father, we admit, but the true story trumps all stories, and um, Jesus is with us by His Spirit now and until our work is done. So, Father, yes, give us conviction and courage to live and to share His story for His glory and His kingdom. And we pray, Almighty God, who called Your church to bear witness that You were in Christ reconciling the world to Yourself, help us to proclaim the good news of Your love, that all who hear it may be drawn to You through Him who was lifted up on the cross and who rose to reign with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.